Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show, presented by The Big Lead. It's Friday. The snow is covering the land about 15 inches here in western Michigan. I have been absolutely tied to my snow shovel. It is my gym. It is the total body workout. Hoisting and heaving, working up a sweat underneath all those layers and single-digit temperatures, It's a simple joy. We talk about dad bods and they get a bad rap because you don't need fancy equipment when you're engaging your lower back, your forearms, your biceps, your triceps, your quads, your abdominals. You do that for several hours a day. I'll tell you what, the rest is going to take care of itself. You earn that hot cocoa or Irish coffee, whatever you want to drink. After doing yeoman's work out there in the yard, in the driveway, it becomes a competition. If you live on a cul-de-sac, if you're living that suburban life like I am, you start peeking around what the neighbors got going. And let me tell you, they got fancy equipment. I'm all analog, but I take pride in keeping up with the Joneses and making sure that my driveway is passable and also looks like, now that guy has been out there putting in the hours, putting in the effort, getting his shots up scraping away just you know you have no idea what life is going to bring you and as i sit here on the cusp of turning 38 years old that is a simple pleasure in my life that i am re-realizing if you do not live in an area where you get all four seasons you're missing out because snow brings with it all kinds of challenges driving is you know a nightmare uh but it keeps your senses sharp you got to be totally in control out there, your head on a swivel, driving defensively. You feel so alive, so you're not dead. But there's a real quietness in the way the light is reflected off the snow is really magical, especially at night. It's awesome how the nights become brighter because the light has nowhere to go. Now that's a real poetic intro to what we're going to be talking about today. I want to hit on two media stories that came down over the last few days. And the first involves a topic that I'm passionate about that I've been trying to cover for several years, offering ideas, offering opinions. And finally, all that work has been rewarded probably in a totally unrelated way because I'm not sure how much the decision makers in Bristol are keyed in to my wants and desires versus what the public wants and desires and what works for the company. But the big news is that there is a new Sunday night baseball booth at ESPN as David Cohn has joined what will be a three-person broadcast 
with Carl Ravitch getting play-by-play duties after all these years and Eduardo Perez serving as analyst. This replaces the booth that was helmed by Matt Viscurgeon and Alex Rodriguez. Jessica Mendoza was briefly part of it. Buster only was on the sidelines for, I think, 12 years. We'll get IT on that. He is not listed on the press release. What's going to happen to A-Rod? Well, A-Rod is getting his own thing called Sunday Night Baseball with K-Rod, where he will be joined by Michael K, longtime Yankee announcer, Yes Network personality. And they're going to basically have an alternate presentation. Now, we wrote on the site, and it's not entirely accurate from what I've heard making some calls, this is not exactly going to be a one-to-one replication of the Manning cast, which has taken the world by storm. Certainly sports media, a certain segment of sports media, the Bruce Springsteen sect, as I would say, has fallen in love with this and everybody's scrambling to like develop their own thing. It's not really what it is. Okay. This is not going to be full of guests. This is not going to be two brothers goofing around. This is going to be essentially a lot more akin to what's been going on in the past on ESPN two when they have the analytic broadcast. Now, is it going to be as heavily into the numbers? No, but what it is going to do, and I'm reading from the release here is it will integrate fantasy baseball, predictive analytics and special guests will appear. I would not expect it to be the jovial joke fest that the Mannings have done. They really captured social media in a way where anything they say, even if it's, you know, a five out of 10 funny uh, is treated like it's a nine. But the main focus for me is the play-by-play booth. And I have been a champion of Ravage for a long time because I think that he is fantastic. He has put in so many hours. He has served in every role in the baseball umbrella over there. And I think that he's criminally underrated as a game broadcaster. And it's for one reason. It's because you can tell that he really cares and loves the game, that he's focused on the game. He's adroit in his ability to describe what's going on on the field in the actual game, to contextualize the whole picture of what's going around in the league. And he's not wed or married to one style of broadcasting. If you've followed Ravitch throughout the years, you've seen an evolution. He's not afraid of new ideas. He's not reluctant to try new things. He's malleable and he's agreeable and he knows what he's doing out there. I will say that his college basketball broadcasts are also fantastic. You never see his name mentioned among the top booths, but he's right there with them. And you can trust him with this in any property. And I'm really happy and I'm pleased to see him get the opportunity. He's certainly more than earned it. And the fact that he's going to be doing it with Eduardo Perez is just awesome because I've had both those guys on the show and I've told them both that when they took over doing KBO broadcasts, when sports shut down, it really unlocked a new level of love for the game for me, because I could tell how much they appreciated just calling baseball, how they treated those broadcasts with the seriousness that a playoff game in MLB would require. It wasn't cheap. They went all in. They showed just what an earnest, honest effort could look and feel like. And I think that resonates with me. And if there's been a problem with Sunday night baseball, 
if there's been a problem with Sunday night baseball, and you've heard this from a lot of people, it doesn't bother me as much as it does others, but Alex Rodriguez is going to be a lightning rod. He's a huge personality. And so many people thought that they were building things around him that they just wanted to market and leverage his star power to the detriment of the overall product. While his analysis isn't particularly my favorite thing in the world, and yes, he's memeable. Yes, people go into it waiting to jump on him for any opinion that they don't agree with. He's still Alex Rodriguez. And when you strip away all the celebrity trappings from him, he knows an awful lot about the game. He really does. And he likes to talk about stuff that only players can understand. I think that that's a really high value. I think that that will come across really well. Balancing his outsized star amid a two-person booth and certainly a three-person booth was a challenge. Now he gets to be above and beyond any doubt the star. I think that will open things up for him. I think that that is a sign that they think of him like Peyton Manning, even if this is not the congruent replica that a lot of people, including ourselves, uh, maybe initially thought it would be. What you have now at ESPN is you have two options to watch a game on Sunday night. And smartly, you can pick and choose what you want. The ancillary broadcasts that they've been putting forth in recent years have been of high value because you capture the attention and the imagination of people who want to see things done in a new way. Now, the numbers nerds may not be flocking over to K and A-Rod in droves because they know they're probably not going to get some of the deep dives that the Benettis and those who were put around him were able to do, but it is a secondary option. So if Ravitch and Perez and David Cohn, who's joining, and I think David Cohn is going to be simply fantastic. I, I really think that he is going to be value added. He's smart. It's great to get someone with a pitcher's perspective on the broadcast. And I'm biased because pitching is in my blood, but it's half the game. And so often it's not treated as a valued and important thing in broadcast. It's all about the hitters and people are reticent to talk about setting people up with change-ups and all that. Pitching is like an iceberg and so much of it is mental and you really have to have lived it in order to understand it. And if you are able to disseminate that information to an audience that can understand it and digest it, then they're going to have more invested on each and every pitch. The complaint about baseball is that it's too slow. And a big driver of that is people don't understand the strategy that goes in pitch to pitch. The pitcher is tasked with deciding what to throw, deciding how to throw it. He's analyzing all the information against that batter he's previously accrued. He's analyzing how his body feels. And more importantly, he's trusting his gut because there's room for numbers and there's room for feel in baseball. And nowhere is that more true than when you're standing on the mound. You cannot throw a pitch you're not confident in. It doesn't work. Your gut has to be in alignment with the number that your catcher is putting down. And I think that Cone is going to bring that element in, and it's going to be really interesting to learn from him. 
Look at what Pedro Martinez has done at MLB Network. Pedro Martinez is the best analyst working in the game today because he sees the game in a totally unique way. Pedro saw the game in a way that few people ever did. He was reliant on his smarts as much as he was reliant on his physical ability. And David Cohn is much the same way. Yes, he had great stuff, but David Cohn dominated through his mental toughness. He dominated through game plan. He dominated through personality and poise. And I think that he will be a great stabilizing factor. He's not going to get too high. He's not going to get too low. He's not going to be intentionally hyperbolic, much like Ravitch and Perez are not going to be intentionally hyperbolic. Ravitch and Perez have great chemistry. They've worked together for a long time. And you listen to them, it shines through, not just on Major League Broadcast, but as I previously mentioned, the KBO, the College World Series. They just bring the sport of baseball alive in a way that I think that a lot of people don't realize it can come alive. I don't think that they're trying to bend over backwards to sell it. They're not giving you the hard sell of, you have to like this. They are turning your enjoyment up about 10 or 15%, you're going to learn things. It's not going to sound canned. It's not going to sound pre-recorded. Perez is really good at reacting to things that just happened. Ravitch is really good at sharing the ball and always has been. And I really trust him to put his analysts in the best spot. I don't expect there to be any hiccups. I think they're going to hit the ground running and it's going to be a great product from the beginning. Maybe some on the outside are a bit nonplussed because Ravitch, for all that he's accomplished, is not one of the Mount Rushmore uh, voices or names at ESPN. But to those people, I would say you got to give him a chance. And if you're unfamiliar with Perez's work because you haven't been digging deep into the baseball inventory at the network, you're going to like what he does as well. What I would say he does is he taps into someone who was born with a baseball in his hand, but is willing to use those experiences in a way that don't make outsiders feel like they are behind the curve. I think he speaks to the everyman. I think that he is not condescending. And I think that what you're going to get on Sunday nights is just an honest and genuine appreciation of baseball. There's plenty to talk about in the sport, even if the game is not great. And that's one of the things that I've long pined for to try to make it a more review show. The idea of turning a broadcast into a podcast is overdone at this point and everybody's trying to do it, but you can tell the difference and where the wheat separates itself from the chaff is people who can do it without taking a hard left turn and without it feeling out of place. And I think Ravitch and Perez, with all their time spent in studio discussing things through Baseball Tonight or other ancillary program, are going to be perfectly suited to do that, make it make sense in the context of a broadcast, which does require acknowledgement of what's going on in the field, even if it is lopsided. So the nut-nut on this is I'm really excited for it. I'm a bit surprised. I Speaking to some industry insiders a few months ago, I think that they were a little bit more 
skeptical that this would be the eventual booth. I want to shout out Andrew Marchand, who broke this story. But here we are. And I think that it's a great day. It's a pivotal year, as they all are, as they try to figure out how big of a part they want the sport to be in their catalog. We've seen what they did with the ESPN, putting a ton of broadcasts on. Plus, that has been in existence for a few years on the on the baseball side. But it, you still do need that main property. Over to Rodriguez. For A-Rod, it's just another opportunity to stay front of mind, to make this his own thing. I think that K, with his relationship with A-Rod through the years, that's going to be a good fit. That's going to be a good match. Uh, maybe this is not the overnight phenomenon that the Manning cast is. And like I said before, it's not exactly trying to be. I think it's smart to give people a secondary option when you're looking at total viewership because you want baseball to remain and continue to be a thing. Oftentimes on Sunday night, if you see what's going up on, on the deuce, it's not exactly something that's going to capture a ton of eyeballs anyway. So I think it's really smart to just try to bring the broadcast to the people on any terms that they're willing to look at it. Baseball remains fighting an uphill battle on the national broadcast because it is a regional show. And we all understand that. And I think it's one of the things that makes baseball fantastic. But if SNF could take some strides this year, make some gains, maybe have people come back to check it out who have tuned out over the last few years, that'll be a monumental success for them. If, and I hate to say this, we're worried about the season. The news we're hearing about the season and negotiations is pretty bad. Speaking of ESPN, Jeff Passan had a piece the other day that uh, was pretty bleak and painted a picture that should be worrisome to people who live and die with the game. But hopefully we have our fingers crossed here that everything is going to work out, that everybody's going to get on the same page, that if games are missed, it's not 90 games, it's maybe 20 games. We've seen that the 60-game season was fantastic for different reasons. I don't want that to happen. I wouldn't mind a 120-game season. I wouldn't cry in my cereal over that one. The momentum needs to get moving people need to come to the table. There's very little I can do except plead into this microphone for cooler heads to prevail. That's shouting into the void because we all know that animosity is extremely high, that there's a huge impasse in order to overcome. But God willing, we're going to get the sport. We're going to get it on most Sundays it's currently scheduled for. And when that happens, I'm curious and interested to see what the product looks on ESPN and ESPN2 as a whole. I'm going to give the A-Rod show a chance. I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand. Like I've seen a lot of people in the immediate reaction do. I think that with A-Rod, maybe he hit his plateau and his ceiling. Candidly, they did some things where they tried to make it more about him than the actual game in a way that I didn't love. Now that's no problem because if you're tuning in to ESPN2, you're tuning in to hear A-Rod, to see A-Rod, maybe laugh at A-Rod, maybe to confirm your preconceived biases about him or your to reinforce your position that you don't want to listen to him, but he is still a draw. He is still the biggest name in analysis. Now, if there's some way 
heaven and earth could have moved and in an alternate world you could have got a rod with david ortiz now that is spectacular that would have probably had a higher ceiling we all understand that contracts are what they are uh and i think that tapping k was an interesting perhaps unusual choice but again new york market we love the new york market everybody loves it we're going to give it a chance Hopefully we check in mid season and we're happy with what we're hearing. Uh, but for now, I think it's a great day. And I think that ESPN really made some smart choices. So let's go ahead and give credit where credit is due as that news came in this morning. Blindsided a new podcast from our friends at the players tribune is about sports, mental health, and life hosted by former NHL goalie, Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist, Dr. Diane McIntosh. The podcast will share and analyze the moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and what happened when it did. The podcast lets listeners hear these athletes describe moments when mental health became the most important focus in their lives. Blindsided then dives in deeper. It gets clinical and it allows listeners to leave with an understanding of the different varieties of mental health challenges people face, why they appear, and how athletes in particular face them down. Blindsided is a sports podcast not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who don't. That's Blindsided from Players Tribune. The other big story is the New York Times purchasing The Athletic for $550 million. There were rumblings of this over the last few weeks. Everything appears a go. It is not officially official yet, but it's pretty damn official the Athletic has been seeking a buyer for some time now. There were flirtations with Axios. From the outside, it seemed like the push to sell was extremely important because the burn rate was extraordinarily high. Uh, it was the time to sell, from what I understand, and they certainly found a good partner, and they certainly found a good price tag. It is the culmination of an experiment that started in 2016. The Athletics' goal was to really put out quality journalism and to do it in a different way in the hopes that people would pay for it, that it did matter. If you're going to grade that process through this point, I'd give it a solid B. And nobody reaping the financial benefits is going to care that that's not an A because look at the end result. It is a remarkable rise. The Athletic was extraordinarily high-minded and remains quite high-minded. They did dip into the clickbait stuff after promising not to do it. I won't judge them for doing it because that's how you have to do business in 20, what are we in? 2022? Man, that feels weird to say. They did what they needed to do. They have employed so many fantastic journalists. They have created a bridge for so many fantastic journalists to be able to be under the New York Times umbrella. And they're going to continue covering disparate topics widely. They've gone into so many local markets. They've beefed up their national presence. And they really are the standard bearer in terms of subscription journalism, certainly in the sports world, perhaps elsewhere too, because athletic subscribers subscribe because they really see a value on the front end when they buy it, renewals, 
are based on continuing to see that value. And if it's a binary question of whether this gamble won or lost, it won. And that's fantastic. I have friends who work at The Athletic. I'm super happy for them. This is a great opportunity. This is a not an ending, but it's a wonderful new chapter for them. It's uplifting to see journalism find a market and find financial viability any way it happens. The Athletic does it the right way. They are not sensationalist. They are not pushing an agenda. They remain true to the core tenets of what this business is supposed to be about. For all those reasons, I'm happy and I don't begrudge them at all for this. The one element I do want to explore here, and it's something that I've thought about for many years, is in discussions, The Athletic has become more than just The Athletic. The Athletic has been ascribed this status as the harbinger of the industry as a whole. Thought being that if the athletic fails, well, then nothing can possibly succeed and people just won't pay money for journalism. My opinion is that's extremely overstated because this is not replicable. And I don't understand how people thought it was going to be replicable. Who is sitting here today seeing this news and thinking, ah, sick, man, I'm just going to start my own thing get an insane amount of VC funding, and then eventually reach a big payday with one of the biggest media conglomerates in the world. I mean, maybe people are thinking it. Um, God bless those people. Maybe some of them will succeed. But what is the athletic too? What is going to follow in its footsteps? What model did it put out there for people to follow? Did it prove that people will always pay for this, or did it prove that people will pay for it one time? And through that lens, I think the athletic is a unicorn in ways good and bad. I don't particularly feel more optimistic about the state of everything in my own position this morning, seeing the news. Maybe some others do. I don't think it's changed the reality of the challenges that anybody who's putting content with a focus on journalism and in doing it the way that so many of us believe should be done. Maybe that's a complicated way of saying that I just don't know what this means for everybody else. I don't know what it means for the athletic. There's a thought out there. Our old friend Ryan Glassbeagle has been talking about how the New York Times has pushed sports to the brink of relevance in-house, that they don't have a thriving and bustling sports section that there's no interest in spanning a wide net. And maybe they understand their readership in a way that outsiders don't, which I'm sure that they do. And maybe bringing the athletic is a way to essentially outsource those plans to someone who's proven that they can do it. You get the expertise of all the people in the local markets. You get all those national names. The price tag is confusing through that lens too, because just Last year, I think it was Mark Stein. They wouldn't pay for Mark Stein. Mark Stein starts his own thing. There are no huge, big name, must read sports columnists or sports voices at the Times, at least not that I can think of off the top of my head, which, which proves my point. And I think that the reaction is kind of reflected my way of thinking about this. I haven't seen this 
open-armed embrace from the larger journalistic community, including those in sports that, hey, we're all saved now, or, or breathing a sigh of relief that everything's going to be okay as long as we can simply do what The Athletic did, because I think that people are smart enough to understand what works for one is not going to work for another. Has there been another super successful subscription-based sports service to launch in that time? You could say that Defector, after all those people broke off from Deadspin and started their own thing, I know that they're doing really well and they're doing it their own way and they've remained true to their ethos, but certainly not on a scale of The Athletic. The Athletic says that it has over 400 editorial employees. That's down. They had significant layoffs last year, but that's certainly a lot of jobs that were created at a time where jobs were disappearing at an alarming rate. The hook of The Athletic beyond the content was that the subscription model is the way of the future. And I'm not so sure about that. And I say that with bias of working at Minute Media who has leveraged its financial future on the traditional ad revenue, which comes through video players, which comes from on-site ads, kind of the web 1.0 philosophy and way of doing it. And people say that they don't like their page cluttered with all types of moving elements and ads for this and ads for that. And well, I totally understand that. And honestly, sometimes I feel the same way. There's two ways to make money. You can get it through subscriptions or you can get it through people visiting your site and being served ads. My thought is, I think that people are more willing to put up with the deluge of video ads, of all that stuff that people who are my age and older bristle at because we can remember a world without it. I think that that's going to go away in the next generation. I watch what my kids put on YouTube and how every single thing has an ad before it or a mid-roll ad, pop-up ads, all this stuff flying around. I think that they totally tune it out and ignore it. I don't think it's as detrimental to their experience as it is for me and certainly not for people who grew up where they weren't blasted in the face with click here. Look no further than Instagram where the quest to look at a picture is derailed by targeted ads, some of which have come up because your phone is listening to you and you've mentioned something in conversation and boom, next thing you know, Hey, do you do need a new belt? Check out these belts or yeah, that snowblower, it is a little old. You do need a new one. Check out these snowblowers. How about some baseball cleats? Season's coming up. We got good deals on cleats, all that stuff. We've just kind of accepted that as our new reality. And I don't think there's going to be this great wave, this great wave or swath of subscription-based models that are going to follow in the athletics footsteps and find a way to viability. I also don't think that there's that many suitors for it. The New York Times won the sweepstakes for the athletic services. The script has flipped. It's not why I'm joining the athletic. The athletic is writing why I'm joining the New York Times. The reasons are obvious. They needed to. It's smart. This was the move for them. Time will tell if the New York Times investment is a smart one as they face a challenge to get it to profitability. That's going to take some time. 
We're going to have to revisit this in a few years. I think that the reason for optimism, if you're the New York Times, is that the athletic isn't going anywhere. And you've got all that institutional knowledge. You've got a ready-made staff. You have an entity that knows exactly how they want to do business. It understands its client base. They are years ahead of everybody in terms of cultivating a product that has a clearly stated objective and relationship with its audience. They will be willing to alter it in some way. I hope not too much. I, I think I speak for everybody in saying that we all hope that The Athletic remains committed to the type of stuff that it's been doing all these years. The fact that it's the Times suggests that there won't be a, a cheapening of the product because that would be a little bit silly and unexpected. Again, we're in the long game with that one. I think we're going to continue to be in the long game. The Athletic was a one-shot deal. It's a unicorn. Also on this, Brian Curtis wrote a great piece for The Ringer that published last night titled The Athletic Set Out to Destroy Newspapers, Then It Became One. And if you know this podcast, if you know anything about the space, you know that Brian Curtis is as good as it gets when it comes to writing about this type of stuff. And he writes about the evolution of The Athletic. Uh, it's founding in 2016, and particularly the now infamous interview that Alex Mather gave to the New York Times, in which he said, we will wait every local paper out and let them continuously bleed until we are the last one standing. This obviously rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It's a quote that has followed the site around for a long time, fairly or unfairly based on your perception. Uh, a lot of traditional newspaper took it as a threat and a threat that was followed through on. But I don't think that that appropriately explains the ethos of The Athletic or its founder's relationship to newspapers. I don't think there's a big difference between what The Athletic did and what's been happening in the newspaper industry as a whole in which gigantic companies buy them for pennies on the dollar and then scrap them for parts and people are the casualty usually in, in the form of jobs. So a lot of people yesterday when the news came out, and I should say that Curtis's post is extremely comprehensive. Uh, it's a nice snapshot of everything that happened. It is not, it is not a piece of gotcha about this quote, but obviously it's at the forefront of it. And a lot of people were very happy to point out the irony or the hypocrisy or whatever you wanted, call it the how it started versus how it's going. Now that the New York Times deal is going to go through, but to those people, I say, so what? Like, yes, they adapted. They did what they sought out to do. They were not a net negative on the industry. They provided a ton of jobs the Athletic is not responsible for the larger picture of everything falling apart on the print side and the struggle to find digital relevance. Maybe they were a bit of an accelerant, but I think more accurately, they served as an escape pod for pe smart people in the industry who read the tea leaves and decided to jump aboard something that had a future as opposed to something that was just trying to hold on to a past. So yeah, fire off your jokes, throw out those, oh, well, what about this? Remember when you said that? Well, okay, that's good. You know what's better? And I, not, I don't want to sound like Sean Parker here, $550 million. And 
$550 million amid a business model that, you know, was somewhat ethical or as ethical as you can be in, in the journalism business right now and over the past few years. Fault Mather for saying that at the time. Maybe he shouldn't have said it and laugh at life's rich tapestry and it coming full circle. But you know what? He doesn't care. No one who works at The Athletic cares that the eventuality was a newspaper buying their subscription model. They're just happy that someone bought them, that someone of the New York Times ilk, the standard bearer for all of us, really, has decided to do business with them. Same thing goes with the clickbait. There was a lot of chest bumping about how they were never going to dive into clickbait and fun and so-called like stuff we would do on the big lead, like trivial things that we know are going to get clicks. They, they said they weren't going to do that. And then they did it as the realities of the world set in. And I don't fault them for doing that at all. And you shouldn't because don't you want to adapt and react and survive and do something like they weren't hurting anybody by hiring faux Polini or doing listicles or trafficking in the controversy of the day. That's just getting people to notice what you're doing. It's in the news. If there's a newsworthiness to it, you can do it in a fun, interesting way that maximizes your audience and maximizes your bottom line. Think of all the subscribers who joined because, hey, they aren't at they aren't a totally stiff operation. They will offer me a variety of things to read, both high and middle-minded. There are killjoys and people who are honestly probably a bit envious of the athletic and the people who work there today who want to cling on to this, but it's really just not important to the conversation because it doesn't matter outside of a Twitter gotcha. Like, congratulations, you got them. Same thing for me. I think I pointed out in a post maybe in 2019 that the athletic was moving away from some of the promises it made on the front. And you know what? Like decent post at the time worth pointing out few years later, maybe that was just me being naive, you know, and maybe a bit hypocritical because if they want to do some of the things that we've done at the big lead over the years, more power to them. There's a market for it. Trust me. The reason I'm talking to this microphone is because there is a market for people who just want to have fun. There's a market for people who want the hard hitting journalism. And the big secret is there's a market for people who want to do both and being a well-balanced operation is extremely important. I think that The Athletic is that. It's a great day for them. It's huge news. It's the culmination of a lot of speculation, a lot of interest. And I think that it was received with appropriate notice yesterday, but I would say it doesn't feel like the world is any different today than it was yesterday. And certainly not for people who aren't a part of this deal, because the same challenges exist that existed yesterday. It's finding a way to be profitable or at least viable through VC funding or whatever funding you want to get. There's two ways of doing it, the subscription model or the ad model. And people are just desperately trying to figure out whatever works to get them through the day. We can argue whether it's harder to get it through subscriptions or harder to do through the ad way, probably subscriptions. So threading that needle is an even more impressive 
feather in the cap of The Athletic, its founders, and all the writers I want to shout out and people who work to make it what it is because it started as an idea on paper and it started small, but it doesn't become this respected entity and this entity that is getting more than half a billion dollars from the New York Times in 2022 without total buy-in for the team. So it remains to be seen what the product of this relationship is going to look like next year, what it's going to look like in five years. It does feel like a good, gooder day for journalism. It just doesn't feel like the brightest, shiniest, most earth-changing day out there. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.